You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual A little personal news. I'm going in for surgery. Tomorrow morning, when you're listening to this, I'm going to be unconscious and cut open. It's not serious. Shoulder injury. It seems I tore my right rotator cuff when I was engaged in some strenuous oversharing. Anyway, the surgery isn't too invasive or risky, but recovery from it, I've been warned, is a motherfucking nightmare. So I'm going to be out for the next couple of weeks. You'll still get a show next week and the week after. We recorded a couple in advance. But I am going to be on the couch binging on Succession Pose, The Innocence, and Percocet while you're listening to the next couple of shows. I know what you're thinking. How can we help with your recovery, Dan? Please, no flowers, no cards, and no calls. And while I won't be able to write, arm in a sling for three months, not supposed to move my right arm at all for the first week, I will be able to check emails with my left hand. So photos of your boyfriend's rear ends are, of course, as always, welcome. But you know what I really, really want? What will make me feel better and speed my recovery? I want you to go to itmfa.org and order yourself a t-shirt, a button, a mug, a hat, a lapel pin, or one of our brand new hoodies. I realize this is manipulative, but I am being manipulative for a very good cause. ITMFA, of course, stands for Impeach the Motherfucker Already. And I don't need to tell my listeners who the motherfucker is. We all know who the motherfucker is, and we know he needs impeaching. And we want our elected representatives, especially in January of next year, to stop enabling this man, this treasonous, racist, sexual predator who is undermining our democracy and dividing Americans and destroying the Atlantic Alliance. And we want them, our elected representatives, to start impeachment proceedings yesterday. All proceeds from ITMFA sales benefit the American Civil Liberties Union, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. Three great organizations that are fighting the Trump agenda. One, Planned Parenthood, which is being targeted by Trump. You can, of course, support these three great orgs directly by making direct donations. You can also support them indirectly and have fun doing it by ordering an ITMFA t-shirt, hat, button, lapel pin, or hoodie. And it is fun. As I've said before on this show, you go out in your ITMFA t-shirt or your hat and people will ask you what ITMFA stands for and then you get to tell them. And it does happen and it is fun, but you don't have to take my word for it. Kim is a bartender at Smith. It's a restaurant in Seattle, a restaurant and bar that I frequent. Great food. When you're in Seattle, go to Smith. Kim also makes excellent drinks. Hey, Kim, how are you? Hey, doing well, Dan. How are you? Good. So when I was in the other night to have dinner at the bar and work on a column, uh, I noticed that you were wearing an ITMFA pin uh, on your vest, on your work uniform. Yeah, I wear I wear it every day. <laughs> well, th- well, thank you for that. I'm always telling people that if you know if you go out in the ITMFA gear, if you wear the hat, if you wear the shirt, if you wear the buttons, people will ask you what that means. You've been wearing your ITMFA pin at work as a bartender. You're in front of people all day long. You interact with people. Do you get asked what ITMFA stands for? <laughs> I get asked every day, like at least once, sometimes multiple times. Uh, and it's sort of how I, I suss people out, you know? And it's it's always a good time because I'll just be doing my work and um, they'll just ask me, oh, hey, what's that button mean? And I, I just get to like look at them deadpan and say, impeach the motherfucker already. And how do people react? 
yeah, mostly, uh, you know, in Seattle, it's, it's like, oh, that's amazing. It's a lot of high fives. Um, I've gotten maybe a couple, a couple people that just didn't respond. And I knew, you know, to not give them as much attention at the bar. <laughs> and maybe a light pour. Yeah, exactly. A little less gin in that gin and tonic. <laughs> uh, an asshole tax. When I worked in restaurants, we called that the asshole tax. When you, you know, mm, if mm-hmm. somebody was being an asshole, you were not as good a server as you were for people who are friendlier. Not that Trump supporters can't go smoke <laughs> and eat. We're not saying that. And, you know, Seattle is tolerant and welcoming. And I've had the experience in some airports where people ask me what my ITMFA t-shirt means. And I've told them and I've gotten a really sour response. Sometimes I get a great response, high fives, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then ended up having a really great conversation with somebody across that vast divide. So, Kim, once again, it works, right? You wear the button, you wear the hat, you wear the T-shirt. People are going to ask you what that stands for, and you get to tell them. Yes, and it's so much fun, yeah. Thank you, Kim. Getting asked what ITMFA stands for really is the best part of wearing an ITMFA T-shirt. Well, it's the second best part after supporting the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people ask me what my T-shirt means, The last time I flew to New York City, the pilot asked me what my T-shirt meant on the way onto the plane, and I told her, and she gave me a high five. And then during the flight, the flight attendant offered me a drink, courtesy of the pilot. Tens of thousands of people have already ordered ITMFA gear, and you can see how the gear looks out in the wild on Instagram, where we are uploading photos that people put on their social media and tag ITMFA. Go to Instagram.com slash ITMFAgram to see the photos, to see the gear. A quick shout out to Ross, Brian, and Jesse, the guys who've done the actual work, the heavy lifting for ITMFA. And we've raised and donated so far $200,000 to those three orgs and an additional $15,000 for recovery efforts in Puerto Rico. And a quick advance notice, we are declaring, because we have that power and authority, October 6th to be ITMFA Day in America, the day we want everyone who has purchased their merch to wear it, take pictures, and post them to social media to send a message to our elected representatives a month before the election, letting them know what we want them to do once the Dems take control of Congress. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's on the free micro edition of the Savage Lovecast and on the expanded Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as long and no ads coming up on the Magnum. The women behind rabbit droppings, an advice column for rabbit owners in New York City. Join us for a second opinion segment. Hi, Dan. I am a bi woman in my mid-20s living in the Midwest. I'm married to a man and we've been hooking up with another woman for several months now and it's been super fun and sexy. Her and I had been spending time together and hooking up on our own on and off before he was involved. And since it began, we've all hung out with each other's friends here and there, but my husband and I have always said we weren't open to coming out to anyone about it. Our friend group includes family members and we've just always said that we don't want them to find out and talk to many occasions about being nervous that they were on to us. Um, this girl has told a few of her close friends without her consent and made flirtatious moves in front of our friends and family when we're together. So we've realized that we just don't want to mix friend groups and that we don't want to risk, you know, it accidentally coming out if we bring them around our friends and family. We've had casual conversations about this, keeping it private and, um, it wasn't until recently that we just had to have a more serious conversation and tell her, you know, we need to keep this completely separate from our friends and family. 
she she understood, but she proposed that we just stop having sex and just all be friends. And she was really upset when we said we didn't want to do that. Um, you know, this started as an intimate romantic relationship and I would feel sad and hurt to cut off what we have. And like I said, I don't feel comfortable mixing her friends together now that some of her friends know. Um, so I don't, I don't know, like any other breakup, I don't think that we'd want to see her if we had to end what we have. And she was just so upset. I feel like, you know, since I'm a girl, it's even more difficult for her to understand and she's starting to feel like we only want her for sex she promised that if we continued we won't do anything flirtatious or tell anyone else but we told her we just don't want to risk it and we need boundaries we're both recently married and professionals and still very new to this lifestyle and not willing to come out at all um we're we propose that we'd spend time with her friends sometimes, but we need to keep it separate from ours. And we could even plan activities together so we can do more than just making dinner and drinks and hooking up. Um, she was still adamant on spending time with our friends sometimes. And we told her that if we continue, we just, we don't want her to feel hurt not to be included or expect that we'll eventually be open about it. We gave her some time to think about it, but I'm just so torn over her looming devastation, over losing her friendship. I just wonder what you think about all of this. And, you know, are we awful people for not wanting to start a friendship if we stop our intimate relationship? And do you have any advice on how to navigate the conversation of not seeing each other if we do need to break up? Some people want to be friends with their exes after a breakup. Some people don't. I think it's a good sign when people are friendly or friends with their exes after a breakup because it shows there was more to that relationship and that connection than just sex. And it sounds like there has been more to this relationship that you and your husband are in with this other woman than just sex. There has been intimacy. There has been friendship and hanging out and a connection that transcends just the sexual elements, that transcends just the the pure lust that maybe brought you all together. But let's jump way the fuck back. You're in a relationship with this woman. That's the word that you use. This is an intimate, ongoing relationship. The last three months with you and your husband, and for some time before that, with just you, because it started with just you. So this has been going on for a while, and you wanted to keep it private. And that's fine to want to keep your private life private, but it's in conflict with Another value, which is her right to her own experience, her right to confide in her friends about the relationship that she's in, her right not to feel or be treated as if she's some dirty little secret. And you guys weren't all on the same page, apparently, about who could be told. And and maybe she got out over her skis or maybe she was indiscreet in ways that made you uncomfortable by being a little too touchy or flirtations in front of your friends and family. And I think that if you want to be socially monogamous, but not sexually monogamous, to maintain the socially monogamous presumption that default setting as others look at you and regard you as a couple, that requires discretion from your thirds. And I don't think that's something that a couple that has thirds isn't allowed to ask for, that kind of discretion. And you had a right to push back and be like, hey – You're acting in front of our friends and family like we're all fucking and we're not ready to come out to our friends and family about the fact that we're in an open relationship. And so we need you to be a little bit more discreet. 
On the flip side, though, you're not allowed to tell her that she can't confide in her friends or talk to her friends about the relationship that she's in. That is isolating, and that's not okay. I don't think you guys are abusing this woman. I don't think you've done anything wrong. But let's say that you were abusive. Let's say that there were things in this relationship that were fucked up, and she was too blinded by love or lust or the newness of it to see it. That's where our friends come in. We tell our friends about our relationships and our love lives. And sometimes our friends are just like, hey, hot, awesome, good for you, so happy for you. Now I'm going to tell you about mine. Sometimes our friends are like, that's kind of fucked up. And we need our friends to play that role in our lives. Sometimes we need our friends to be that outside check, that third eye that can go, um, I know that this is hot and you're into these people and this is really sexy, but the this, that, and the other that they're requiring of you or doing to you, you might want to think about that. That's kind of fucked up. Sometimes we need our friends to tell us something's fucked up. But our friends can't tell us that something about our romantic or sexual life is fucked up if we're not allowed to talk to our friends about our romantic or sexual life. And so, on the one hand, I'm with you. Indiscreet in front of friends and family, when you guys want to maintain the socially monogamous assumption or default setting, you had a right to critique her about that. Her talking to her own friends about being in a relationship... You don't have a right to slam her for that. You don't have a right to ask your third not to confide in or talk with her friends about her experiences, her relationship. Then there's the question of mixing your friend group when some know and some don't. How discreet are her friends? How blabby are her friends? How blabby are your friends? If you know, one of your friends gets the sense that there's something more to your relationship than this, with this woman than just a friendship – are they going to run off to your parents and tell your parents about it? How rational are your concerns and your worries about mixing your friend groups where some might know and some might not know? But that's not your question. Are you awful people if you don't want a friendship? No. The relationship ends and you don't want to have a friendship post-relationship. That's not necessarily awful. I think it's a better sign when people do want a friendship after a relationship ends or if they can be friendly and cordial after a relationship ends that points to a certain emotional maturity and affection. If you liked somebody well enough to be with them for three or four months to invite them into your relationship and into your bed and you to get together with that person solo, hopefully you like that person well enough to want to take an interest in them post the sexual dimension of the relationship. And just as no one likes to be the dirty little secret, no one wants to be stuffed down the fucking memory hole either. So something to consider. And you can also slap the golden rule onto this. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. If you were the third, if you were in her shoes, would you want to be sent packing? Would you want to be cut out of the life of this couple that you bonded with, first sexually, but also emotionally, because the sex ended? Probably not. So maybe you should do unto her as you would have her do unto you if she were the wife and you were the girlfriend. But if you decide to not see her anymore post relationship post the sexual relationship how do you navigate that that's a non-negotiable we don't want to see you we're done goodbye that's how you navigate that you just throw that on the table she's not going to be happy about it what you probably mean by this question is how do we roll this out in such a way that doesn't upset or hurt her and there is no way to roll goodbye there is no way to roll exile out in a way that isn't going to hurt this woman she's gonna be hurt when you kick her if you kick her out of your lives and there's no way to avoid that so if that's what you're going to do you just have to plow through the hurt you just have to be the people who hurt her in that way and there's no avoiding that hi dan my name 
John, and I live on the West Coast. I just have a question. I've been married for 12 years. My wife and I have a good marriage. We have a good sex life. We have a few kids. For the most part, I don't have any complaints as far as my sex life is concerned, except that she's not, she doesn't like giving blowjobs. She's not into giving blowjobs. She doesn't like the idea that the thing I use to piss with is going into her mouth. Uh, I try to alleviate this by suggesting different things, you know, having blowjobs only in the shower, getting edible, you know, creams or whatever to put on the penis, make it taste better. She doesn't like the taste of sperm. It doesn't interest her. I, I don't come in her mouth. I don't, I don't want her to be uncomfortable, but I do enjoy blowjobs. So I'm not sure where to go from here. It is a monogamous relationship. As I said, we are sexually, you know, other than the blowjob thing, I'm quite happy with the sex life, but I do like blowjobs. And the idea that I'm never going to get a blowjob again or that every time I get a blowjob, my wife is uncomfortable, uh, doesn't sit well with me. If I had a bucket of fairy dust that I could sprinkle over your wife that would turn her into someone who loved to give blowjobs, who loved to suck a dick, I would call you back. I would get your address. I would show up at your house and I would, with your wife's consent, sprinkle that fairy dust all over her. But that bucket of fairy dust, that bucket of turns people into cock inhaling whore fairy dust doesn't exist. And you knew that presumably before you married your wife. Hopefully she wasn't blowing you semi-enthusiastically or faking enthusiasm and blowing you prior to marriage and then rolled out the, I don't want to do this. I hate this. Pee comes out of there stuff after the wedding and the kids. And so this was the price of admission you paid when you got together with this woman. She doesn't like to suck dick. And so in the context of a monogamous relationship, you're not going to get your dick sucked ever again because you married someone who doesn't like to suck dick for reasons that seem silly to me, but I like to suck dick and not afraid that pee comes out of there. You don't mention whether you go down on her. If you go down on her, you're putting your face where pee comes out of her urethra is right there in the middle of all that business. Also putting your face where blood pours out once a month. And you might point to that, but the fact that you're not squeamish about urine or blood or the thing that that comes out of, those things come out of on a regular basis, doesn't require your wife to get unsqueamish about the fact that piss comes out of your cock or to suddenly like the taste of semen. I'm sorry. There's really nothing I can do to help you here. This is an impasse. You don't want your wife sucking your dick under duress. You don't want her doing this thing that makes her miserable, but you want your dick sucked. But unfortunately she would only do that under duress and it makes her miserable. So I am sorry to say, I'm sorry that I am the one who has to inform you that you will not be getting your dick sucked until somebody invents that bucket of magic berry dust that makes people want to suck dick, which is coming online about as soon as the time machine that I need basically on a daily basis around here. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old female calling from the East Coast. My father, who is 64-ish years old, has been dating a woman who is three days younger than me, 27 years old, for a little over a year now. I am calling because I am not cool with it. I mean, 
My dad and I have never really had a relationship other than talking sporadically. And now since he's been dating her, he definitely tries to get a hold of me a lot more and hang out with me a lot more. And it really just feels like he's trying to show her what a good relationship he has with me and like impress her. And it all is just feels very shitty to me. And I don't want to hang out with him and her or talk to them every time I call him. He puts me on speakerphone and she's like there. Um, It's just all very off-putting and turns me off to him as a person and as my father in general. I guess my question is like, should I be shitty? Should I be friends with him? I don't know what to do about it. And I don't really care. I don't feel like talking to them and I don't want to talk to him about it. So what should I do? You've never been particularly close to your father. A year ago, he starts dating someone roughly your age, which is his right. Talking about two consenting adults here, an intergenerational relationship. Let's not intergenerational relationship shame or gerontophilia shame here. And that is his right to date whatever adult wants to date him. And that is her right to date him if she as an adult wants to date him. But suddenly, after he gets his girlfriend, he's reaching out to you a lot. And my suspicion here is that the girlfriend feels uncomfortable that her boyfriend is estranged from his adult daughter, and she is encouraging him to reach out to you in this clumsy way that isn't how you two have related to each other prior to her arrival on the scene. And it's about her and her feelings and about her desire, if she wants the best for her boyfriend, your dad, for him to have a good relationship with his daughter. And so she's prompting him to reach out to you. And this is a disturbance in the force. This is not how you two have related to each other in the past. And so it makes you incredibly uncomfortable. So don't get on the phone with your father. Relate to him as you've related to him in the past. You can ask him, like, why now? Why all this reaching out, wanting to talk now at this stage of our relationship in our lives? Why now? And he may tell you that's because his girlfriend is encouraging him to do this to reach out and you just can tell him then like our relationship is fine the way it was working before we were both comfortable with that let's just let that be what it is and not perform some different style of father-daughter relationship to please or or, or comfort your girlfriend because that's a dumb and disingenuous reason for us to quote-unquote connect let's just be who we were the one thing i would throw into the mix here is Him putting you on speakerphone whenever he's on the phone with you, with her there, that's a little weird. So that was all the benefit of the doubt. Thinking about it that came before, here's the non-benefit of the doubt. Here are the suspicions. It may be that she doesn't want him talking to you unless she's there to monitor those calls. What kind of shape is your dad in physically, mentally? Is he being taken advantage of by this woman is she moving in on him to take over the family fortune does your father have a big pile of money and a giant house and is this woman a gold digger i mean that's a sexist stereotype but that also sometimes fucking happens where people get taken advantage of older people particularly people who aren't close to their biological family members who may be isolated and vulnerable That could be the reason why you wind up on speakerphone whenever your dad calls or you call your dad is because she is hovering and wants to know what you two are saying to each other because she is trying to take advantage of him and doesn't want the con exposed. So you might want to have a conversation with your dad privately. 
about his cognitive functioning, about this relationship and the dynamics at play in it and whether he is being taken advantage of or whether he is vulnerable. And if he is in any way cognitively impaired, then you can face some really difficult choices. Then you can talk to other family members about whether you all need to move to get power of attorney over your father before he wills everything to someone who, and this is just the like worst case scenario disorder read on this, who is there not because she has a genuine romantic interest in your father, not because she's one of those people out there who are attracted to older men and they exist and that attraction is legitimate, but because she wants the house or the money or the business or whatever. So you don't like talking to your dad that much, but I'm telling you, you got to talk to your dad. You got to get to the bottom of why all this reaching out and why now, and you got to get to the bottom of why speakerphone. My worst case scenario is in conflict with all the reaching out. If she wanted to isolate her father from you, he, you probably would be hearing from him less than you are hearing from him now. So that element in the plot here, all of this reaching out in the last year would seem to undermine the worst case scenario disorder version of events or read on events because if she was trying to isolate you and control your father, you would probably be hearing from him a lot less than you used to and you didn't hear from him much before. So maybe it is that she's encouraging him to reach out to you and have a better relationship with you. Maybe she likes you and wants to have a relationship with you herself if they're getting more and more serious. She doesn't want to feel like she caused or worsened your estrangement from your father. Get on the phone or don't get on the phone. Take your father out for breakfast, just the two of you alone. You need to have a conversation about the conversations you don't want to have with your dad. Hi there, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm 25-year-old uh, straight cis female calling from Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I guess my, my question can be best summed up as, how do I remain emotionally unattached or as little emotional attachment as possible during those first few months of dating? Um, so some background on this question, I've been single for the past couple of years, but I, of course, do casual dating. My, I'm a grad student, my female's my uh, area is very predominantly female, and so I mostly use online dating. And so I, you know, go on quite a few first dates. And I found there have been multiple occasions where I will be seeing a guy for maybe um, a month or month and a half, so still in the pretty early stages, but getting to know each other a bit better. And I tend to weed people out by the third or fourth date. So if I'm getting to a month, month and a half with a guy, chances are I'm, I'm pretty into him. And the guy will you know, dump me or not want to keep seeing me or whatever, which is completely his provocative, of course, but I just get so upset about it. And I, th I just get my hopes up a lot. And I think that's, that's why I get so upset. And I, I don't quite know how to kind of manage my expectations and keep my hopes and dreams uh, realistic. Um, I, I do all the kind of stuff you're supposed to do. Like I, try to see multiple people, though I find I just narrow in on one guy and I uh, get annoyed by anyone else I'm seeing. <laughs> and I, because I'm naturally pretty monogamous, I have a lot of friends, I do a lot of stuff, obviously grad school keeps me really busy, I have a very full life that I'm very happy with, but just when these occasions arise where I get dumped by someone I'm not very serious with, I just get so upset. And I think it's because I get emotionally attached so early. So, and I, I'm a very realistic person. So I try to rationalize myself out of it, but it's really hard. So do you have any tips on how I could 
be more casual during those first early stages so I don't keep feeling really upset when it ends, uh, that'd be super great. You're allowing yourself to get carried away. You're making a premature emotional investment in someone that you're dating. When you allow yourself to get carried away, usually it's a fantasy that you spin out in your head about everything that's possible. You feel really good about this guy. You feel really good about this relationship. With this guy, there could be a potential future. And then you make the error of fantasizing about that potential future, imagining it, throwing yourself into that future. And then when the relationship ends at a month or two months or three months, as most romantic relationships do, we date a lot of people, we marry one or two, hopefully no more than one or two, exceptions, of course, for Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh and Donald Trump, but most of us marry one or two people. As I like to say, every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to end until one doesn't, and you don't know which one that is until it doesn't end. And if you want these natural endings, this part of the dating and mating and sorting and the discovery process experience not to traumatize you so much. You just need to push back against your propensity to get carried away, to make a premature emotional investment in someone, to fantasize about that future together and force yourself, make up your mind that you're going to be more casual and not be so devastated when something ends and most things will end and it can help if you change your perspective on rejection. You know, when something ends, you know, you, let's say you get carried away by the next guy. You make a premature emotional investment. You fantasize about a future together. He could be the 0.72 that you're going to round the fuck up to the one. And you're imagining the wedding and the kids and the history together and your 50th wedding anniversary. And then he tells you he want, doesn't want to see you anymore. What do you do at that point? Well, at that point... You've made this huge emotional investment. You've allowed yourself to get carried away and you're going to feel bad and terrible because why? Because this guy rejected you. And it helps if we look at rejection not as a curse but a perk because someone who rejects you, someone who walks away from you, someone who breaks up with you is freeing you to go find that person who's not going to break up with you, not going to reject you. They are telling you in that moment not that you weren't right for them, but also that they weren't right for you. They didn't want the same things that you wanted. They didn't want you, but they also didn't want the same things you wanted. So all of that premature emotional investment, all of those fantasies weren't about that person. They were about a person. And you thought this person might be that person, but he's not. You're going to have to go out there and find that person. And you're free to go find that person who wants you the same way you want him now, because this person didn't want you that same way, has let you go. Maybe we stopped calling it rejection and started calling it <laughs> emancipation, freedom, release. It wouldn't sting so much. Easy for me to say, been with the same person for a very long time. I haven't faced romantic rejection in a very long time. I remember how painful and scalding and humiliating it was. I know now from my perspective that the romantic rejections I faced prior to meeting Terry meant that I was free to date Terry when Terry walked into my life. And if I'd still been dinking around with these other guys that didn't want me the same way I wanted them or I didn't want the same way they wanted me, I wouldn't be with the guy I'm with now. So you got to take the long view. You got to embrace rejection and you've got to tamp down what sounds like your propensity to allow yourself to get carried away 
in the early stages. You've been with somebody a month, month and a half, you do not know that person at all. Fantasize about your future. And instead of fantasizing about a future together with this person, try to be in the moment with this person. Dating early is a discovery process. You're peeling the onion. You're finding out what's at the center, which of an onion is just more onion. I don't understand how this metaphor works exactly. But dating can be enjoyed for itself, for its own pleasures without allowing yourself to get carried away. And allowing yourself to get carried away is creating this pain and angst for you when these relationships end as most of them do and most of them will until you meet a guy that you can round up to the one but who also looks at you and sees his point seven two that he can round up to the one. Hey Dan, some advice to anyone who is concerned about a potentially cheating hookup who has an open relationship, if you have an open relationship and there's some skepticism, just video record your partner who's giving you permission and do it on the weekly or on a monthly and include a timestamp. So you can say something like, hey, I, I am so-and-so's partner and I give my permission for them to do X, Y, and Z and this message is good until this date. Trust your mother, cut the cards. That helps. And I, I don't think that's a terrible idea. But someone who'd lie to you, I mean, that's a control for lying. Like, what if he's lying to me about being in an open relationship? What if he's lying to me about his wife being okay with this? He could be presenting you with a video of somebody else. He could be presenting you with a video made by a friend and not the spouse. And unless. There's a video montage and a big wedding scene and wedding photos and the brandishing of the marriage license. You can't know for sure that this person that you're worried might be lying to you, which is why they showed you the video in the first place, isn't lying to you with that video. But it's better, I guess, than just having to take somebody's word for it. But it's not fail-proof, asshole-proof, or lie-proof. In the end, you're still going to have to do what people have to do when there's no video. In the end, you're still going to have to trust your gut. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I have a daughter who's dating a guy who is transitioning. He is going from being a girl to a guy. My problem is his parents do not support the transition at all, pretty much. And he would like me to have coffee with his mother to talk to her about his transition and how she she needs to support him in it. And now he doesn't feel accepted. How do I go about doing this? Or can I even do this? I don't know if it's a good idea if I should approach his mother on this or if I should just be the silent other mother type for him. Years ago, like 25 years ago, I was doing a radio show, a call-in sex advice radio show, and this gay kid asked me if he should come out to his mother, and I told him that he should, based on what he told me. He figured his mother already knew, or his parents already knew, and I encouraged him to just tell them. And he told them, and it was a disaster, and they didn't know, and they, th and they threatened to pull him out of his already farty school and drag him back to Arizona. And he called the next week to say thanks for ruining my life. And so I got him off the air, and I talked to him privately, and I got his mother's phone number. And I called my mom, and I had my mom call his mom. And my mom, who was really good at slipping the guilt knife right into your ribs, told his mom that if what she wanted was for her 15-year-old gay son to run away, 
and to engage in survival prostitution and to contract HIV by 18 and be dead by 20, that she should keep it up because she was doing everything right if that's what she wanted. Not just to destroy her relationship with her son, but to potentially destroy her son. My mom said all this to this kid's mom, and they became friends out of that conversation. They were chit-chatting with each other and talking with each other for the rest of my mom's life. Despite the fact that their first conversation was really kind of brutal truth-telling on my mother's part and calling into question this woman's love for her son and how she was parenting her son. So I'm going to urge you to have a coffee with your daughter's boyfriend's mother. And you could point out to her that trans folks are at high risk of suicide. Trans folks whose families accept them and are supportive, even if they don't completely understand at first, even if they need to learn more about what it is, what transition is, what gender dysphoria is, if they can just accept and embrace as they learn that their kids are at less risk of suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse. And isn't that what she wants for her kid? Whether her kid is her son or her daughter, and her kid is her son now, and she needs to respect and accept that. Now, people talk about, oh, I don't accept that, as if someone's sexual orientation or gender identity is a package that's sitting on their porch that they have to sign for. And that's just not the way it works. You don't get to accept certain parts of your kids' identities and not others. Nobody who's gone home to mom and said, I'm gay or I'm trans, and mom has freaked out and rejected them for that has a good and loving relationship with their parents going forward. For fear of losing her daughter, she is definitely going to lose her kid, her son. You should say these things to her. And you're in a good position to model this kind of acceptance for her because a lot of people, a lot of parents who are transphobic in your position wouldn't be delighted that their daughter was dating a trans guy. And so here you are with a similar connection. You don't have a trans kid. But you have a kid who's dating a trans person, which for a lot of people is a scary thought. And you're fine with it. So you don't have to march in there knowing absolutely everything about trans. You just have to march in there loving your kid and loving the people who love your kid, including her kid. And if that relationship lasts, if your daughter winds up marrying her son, you're going to love her son as your own. And you can say to her, if I can love your son, who might be, who's with my daughter, might marry my daughter. If I can find that in me, you can certainly find that in you to love your son. Don't let your love for the person you assumed your kid was prevent you from loving the person your kid is. There is no upside to that because the person your kid is, is the only kid you've got. And you're going to love that kid or you're not going to love that kid. And if you can't love that kid, that kid is going to leave you and go out into the world and find people who can love him for who he is. You're worried about losing your daughter? She never existed. Don't lose your son. And if she reacts badly, if unlike the woman, the the mom of the gay kid that my mother got on the phone with, this woman reacts badly, what have you lost? Nothing. She's not a friend. You don't know her. But you might gain something. You might gain a friend and an ally in the same way that my mother gained a friend and an ally in this kid's mom. They were friends for the rest of their lives. So you've got nothing to lose and a lot potentially to gain by having that coffee. Hi, Dan. Sis, by poly woman in my mid thirties. 
So I have been going to an OBGYN practice where there's multiple doctors. So you like see a different doctor, different times, like whoever's available. And I felt like the first couple of doctors I saw were a little weird towards me. Like one of them claimed that my yeast infection, like my recurrent yeast infection issue would be better if I was monogamous, even though I've had trouble with this since I became sexually active and I was monogamous for a decade. Um, the third doctor I saw was really awesome, and they opened up to her that some of the doctors seemed uncomfortable with me. And she was like, oh, yeah, that isn't surprising. There's some really colorful stuff in your medical record. And when I looked at my record, the thing that really stood out um, was something that was marked as an unresolved problem and had been there for, like, a couple of years on my record. Um, and that problem was worded as, and I quote, high-risk bisexual behavior. So I have three partners, two men um, and one woman, and I've been with them for six, five, and three years, respectively. I don't sleep with anybody other than them. Um, They have other partners. There's condom use. It's a really careful group of people. But, you know, even if my record had said high-risk sexual behavior or high-risk non-monogamous behavior, I'd be okay with that because I realized that I have a higher risk level than somebody that's monogamous for sure. Um, But what really bothers me is the bisexual part. Like, I don't understand why my behavior would be high risk because I'm bisexual. If I was only sleeping with guys, I think that would be higher risk um, because transmission of STDs from woman to woman is so low. So, yeah, this just seems like some sort of biphobia guised as medical concern. Um, So I was just wondering what your thoughts were, if there's anything I can do about this. Like, would confronting the doctor who put this in my record do anything? And I was wondering, I don't know if any of your listeners who are doctors know if this is a common label that doctors put in records. Yeah, I was just wondering your thoughts. It is a truth universally acknowledged, but nothing has ever fucking done about it, that there are a lot of people out there practicing medicine who know fuck all about sex, which is crazy considering that there are potential medical issues that people might have related to their sex life. And the numbers of doctors who treat sex as an avoidable problem, that treat sex like it's cigarette smoking, that it's a destructive lifestyle choice, then the best thing for anybody who gets wrapped up in that cigarette smoking or sex to do is to quit Quit having sex, quit smoking cigarettes, the risk for sexually transmitted infections, lung cancer, whatever, eliminated. Why can't people just be rational and cut these risks out of their lives? So many doctors take that attitude, take that position. That's what happens when you're steeped in a sex-negative, sex-phobic culture. You look at sex as a a problem uh, and the solution as the elimination of that problem or the minimization of it. Wouldn't it just be great if people had as few sex partners and as little sex as possible? Because then people wouldn't be at risk for sexually transmitted infections, including pregnancy, the original sexually transmitted infection. You should push back. You should, when you go into this place, if you're going to continue to seek medical care at this facility or at this office, insist on seeing the doctor who gets it. But you should also have words with the doctors who didn't. And you can do that in an email. You don't have to confront people face to face. And you can lay out what was fucked up about their attitude. I was really happy to hear you acknowledge that, yes, you are at higher risk because you have multiple partners. Your partners have partners. Condoms aren't foolproof. A lot of people use them incorrectly. And there are, of course, sexually transmitted infections that condoms provide some protection from but not complete protection from. 
skin-to-skin sexually transmitted infections. People can still get those using condoms. And a lot of people who are safe and use condoms use them only for vaginal or anal sex, but not for oral sex, which still leaves you open potentially then to oral gonorrhea, oral syphilis. So I was happy that I didn't have to push back because you were just offended that they might imply that you're at higher risk for sexually transmitted infections. You are, as am I, as is everyone who's in an open relationship. And we put that on the risk-benefit analysis scales and we go, okay, the higher risks that I'm willing to accept are worth the pleasures, the benefit of the pleasures that I want to have in my life and I have to be a rational adult about that. It was the inclusion of bisexual, as if bisexual by itself is some risk category as if bisexual is smoker or three pack a day, three cock a day smoker. No. And that was fucked up. And you should address that in an email to these folks because the doctors practicing in this place, they need to educate themselves about sex. Not as we all wish other people would have it with only one person and then only once in a while but sex as people actually have it, which is tremendously varied and for many people involves more than one partner, more than one gender. And they need to hear from you about that. You have an opportunity here to educate these doctors so that when they encounter someone in the future in their practice who isn't monogamous, isn't just with one person having as little sex as they possibly can, they don't make these same mistakes that they've made with you. And it's important that doctors not make these mistakes because a lot of people who are sex shamed by doctors in this way stop going to doctors. So this concern doctors have that people who have complicated sex lives of the cast of thousands are at higher risk for acquiring or passing around sexually transmitted infections, that attitude puts them at even higher risk of sexually transmitted infections or passing them on if they're not seeking treatment, if they're not seeing their doctor regularly for fear of being shamed by their doctor for the choices that they are making sexually and relationally. So send an email, a long, scathing email. Hi, Dan and Tech Savvy Outrisk Youth. I'm a cisgendered white female living in the Bay Area. I have a question about roommate issues and polyamory. I consider myself poly dating or just dating. I bring home a decent amount of men. I went on a month-long celibacy path and have recently been intimate with a different partner. I live with three other roommates. One is a 30-year-old woman my age, and the two others are a couple. The girlfriend's 19 and her boyfriend, 32. Recently, she texted me saying she wasn't comfortable with the men I brought over, and when I would leave in the morning early for work, they would still be here until they woke up and left. She has been through trauma with men, as have I, and is much younger than me. I immediately felt bad and said I understood, and I wouldn't leave them here anymore. I will let them know they have to leave when I leave. She also requested I not let them shower in my shower, which is separate from theirs, and that I not give them tours of the house to see their ducks and the weed plants. I told her I could skip that area with the weed plants, but I feel like they're asking too much. They do not shower all the time, and I like giving tours because it's how I welcome my guests. I feel felt reasonable to not let the men I relate with stay with me when I'm not here and the weed plants, but I feel like those parameters are not reasonable, and I feel like I can't welcome my guests into my home. They have barbecues and friends over all the time. I'm new to the area and I'm working on building my friendships and relationships. Right now, it looks more like hooking up, but I feel that's my right to explore and that I don't have to censor myself around my roommates just because they feel uncomfortable that I'm sexually open. I have requested their relationship, respected their relationship, and would really like them to tolerate mine. A side note is the boyfriend has a deep-seated hatred for women, which his girlfriend confirmed for me in a talk we had. She confirmed he doesn't trust me because I have multiple partners and said specifically that he thinks I'm a whore. 
It has been a struggle to find housing in this area with my dog, and this is a pet-friendly house. I know I want to eventually leave. I just can't financially right now. We have scheduled a meeting for the three of us to talk about this next week. I would like your advice with how to start and enter this meeting. The boyfriend is aggressive and demanding, and I'm worried because I'm so passionate about this that it could become a battle that could get toxic. I want to enter this with grace. Any tips for strategies for this to come out in a way that is peaceful and supportive for all of us? Since you're new to the area, the Bay Area, I'm going to assume that these guys that you're having over to the house, the men that you're connecting with sexually, they're not regulars. They're not boyfriends. They're not your primary, secondary, tertiary relationships. These are guys you've just met and that you're connecting with sexually, and that's fine. It is reasonable for your roommates to feel uncomfortable about being left alone in the house with strange men, not only that they don't know at all, but that you don't know well. And can't vouch for because men are testosterone-soaked dick monsters. And yeah, I would have a problem with that myself. And I'm a great big man. So I think that your roommate's objection to you leaving in the morning uh, and these guys waking up and rolling out of bed later and then making their way out of the house is legitimate. And, And you recognized it, to your credit, as a legitimate concern. And you tell guys who come over now that they will be leaving before or when you leave. And that is a perfectly reasonable solution and a perfectly civil resolution to this conflict. What isn't reasonable, what isn't civil, is them telling you that these guys can't shower while you're there? They can't use your private toilet? They're supposed to pee out the window? Put a turd in a bag and leave with it? That's just unreasonable. And I think you need to make that point to them. And it'll help you make that point about that being unreasonable, if you acknowledge the reasonableness of their initial concern that you were leaving them at home alone with these guys that they didn't know at all. And in all honesty, you didn't know well enough, had a really good feeling about a good enough feeling about that. You wanted to invite them into your bed and into your body. But a lot of people have had good feelings about people who turned out to be not good people. So that was a reasonable concern and you addressed it and and accepted what was reasonable about it. And it'll help, even if the words curdle in your mouth, for you to say, I was a little inconsiderate and unreasonable in making the assumption that this was okay and I stopped as soon as you guys pointed it out to me. Now, what you're asking me, and I want you guys to recognize that this is unreasonable and it's inconsiderate to my overnight guests after we've gotten all sweaty to tell them that you can't use my private shower because my roommates get upset about the water bill. What is the issue here? The wrench in all this works, though, and what's going to make it impossible for there to be a a reasonable sort of accommodation made is this 32-year-old boyfriend of your 19-year-old roommate who's a misogynist and slut shames you and is freaking the fuck out and trying to control who comes and goes from his girlfriend's apartment. That's probably not something that any sort of coming to the table and I fucked up, you fucked up, and now we're going to like figure out how to make this work going forward is going to fix because someone like that probably wants there to be drama and conflict and so is going to do everything he can to engineer it, to control his 13 years younger teenage girlfriend and her roommates. And you don't say he's coming to the meeting, but I get the impression he's coming to the meeting. And I don't know why if he doesn't live in that house, if he's not paying rent, if he's not also a roommate – He has a right to be at that meeting. And so I would insist, if I were you, that it just be the roommates to have a conversation about the men's that you are bringing around, including the boyfriends that you're bringing around or that they're bringing around, 
and you guys to work this out together as roommates without an acknowledged by the girlfriend misogynist controlling asshole in the room trying to make it all about him? Yeah, no. Don't go to the meeting if he's there. If you show up at the meeting and he's there, say you don't want to have this meeting with him there. You want to have this meeting just with the roommates. This is a house meeting, not a house and guest meeting unless they want you to call in the three or four guys you've been banging regularly so that they can participate in this meeting too. He has no place in that meeting. The boyfriend has no place in that meeting. And in the run-up to this meeting, I think you need to be examining your options about getting the fuck out of this house. I think you need to be looking for other houses, other roommate situations, other dog-friendly shared houses or apartments so that you can ultimately move. Because there's some crazy going on here. Reasonable for them to object to strange men rattling around the house in the morning after you left. Totally reasonable. This shower shit? Unreasonable. This boyfriend shit? Toxic. You're going to have to get out of there ultimately and in the end. So you should, even as you're having these conversations with your roommates at this roommates-only meeting, be actively looking for a new living situation for yourself. I am not the only person on earth with an advice column or an advice podcast. You heard that here first. And every once in a while, we like to invite on other people who write advice columns for a segment we call Second Opinion, where we toss some savage love, savage love cast style questions into the laps of people who don't usually tackle savage love cast style questions. Joining us for this Second Opinion, Thea Harding and Nadine Heidinger are the co-authors of Rabbit Droppings with Thea and Nadine, an advice column that appears in Thump, the newsletter of the New York House Rabbit Society chapter. They are experts in rabbit care and longtime shelter volunteers and rabbit rescue advocates. Hey, Thea. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy to be talking to you today. Hey, Nadine. Hey, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, Heidinger? Oh, yeah. Perfect. Okay. I'm still good with the German. So uh, let's start with you, Nadine. How did Rabbit Droppings get its start? So um, completely random, as I think maybe all columns start a little bit. Uh, Thea and I were at a uh, rabbit conference in San Diego. Yes, there is such a thing. Um, and we were asked to write a little piece in Thump, the uh, the New York-based uh, uh, rabbit newsletter. And we had a blast writing it together. So we know a little bit about rabbits, a little bit a lot, and, um, you know, uh, we're a little bit of funny, too. So we thought just to um, start a column, and here we are. Um, it's been, uh, it's been <laughs> really fun. How many columns have you written so far? We have written now... Five. It's a, it's, it comes out every two months, so... Um, and we usually address three questions, um, and they range from a little serious to very serious to just kind of silly, because, um, you know, rabbit rescue, well, they, they need to laugh too, I think. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. So uh, how many people in New York are actively rescuing rabbits? I think there are a lot of people in New Yorker. I don't really have a number. Certainly the rescue community um, for all animals is very large in New York. The rescue community for rabbits is, is much smaller. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious like how large your, your, your target demo is with the rabbit advice column. Oh, I mean, I would say uh, there are at least a 
least a thousand, two thousand people who who we've done adoptions with through the shelter, and that's one of our our core audiences. But there there's a larger group of people that love rabbits and are interested in rabbit rescue. So one of the dirty little secrets of writing an advice column is that nobody knows your advice column exists when you first start it, and you kind of have to make up your own letters at first, get, get yes. off the ground. So I assume you yes. did that. How long did it take for you guys to get your first question from a reader of the newsletter of the New York House Rabbit Society? So we actually got, I would say for our second issue that we got, um, our, our, sec- our second column that we got some good questions, uh, just a few. And, and what are the questions people have? Like, can I make Coco Van out of a rescue rabbit? Do you get a question like that? Or... Oh, no, nothing like that. They've actually been really great so, questions. So no recipe um, tips. Your people want to take care of no, these rabbits. There's no recipe tips, no. There are questions about, um, a lot of questions about poop, which is a perennial topic for, for rabbit lovers. I get a lot of questions about poop here at the Savage Lovecast for anal lovers. Yeah, I really think that there's some similarities here. We also <laughs> happen to get a lot of questions about things like threesomes and rat, multiple rabbits living together and how to negotiate that. It can be a little bit trying because uh, rabbits, rabbits, um, rabbits are really social animals, and but it's hard. It's hard to negotiate that and, and you know bringing rabbits together and having them all get along and love each other. So, so basically, you know, when it's humans trying to get three or four people together to all love each other, I have to importune them to communicate and use their words. You can't do that with a rabbit. No, no. So, you know, we have special advice about how to structure those interactions to reduce conflict, um, things like that. So our jobs aren't that different, yours and mine. I think they're quite similar. In fact, I mean, you really were an inspiration for us as we were writing. (laughs) That's very kind of you to say. It, it really, really was. So we do think of you often as we're writing, and and we'd really love to get some racier questions, too. We always love that. Well, I have some racier questions for you today that are not rabbit-related that I've pulled from my calls. Excellent. And we're going to tackle them together, uh, you guys and me. Are you ready? Oh, absolutely. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight woman on the East Coast. I'm at a stage in my life where I want to find a partner to settle down with. The problem is that every guy I date or meet seems to want kids, and I don't. I recently ended a serious relationship over this. My partner assumed it was just a phase and that I'd eventually change my mind. But I've known for a long time that I don't want to be a parent, and my list of reasons has only grown over the years. My question is, how do you go about dating in your 30s when you know you don't want kids in a world where it's usually assumed that you do? How and when... Do I bring it up? And how do I help guys understand that I'm serious about it? All right, Nadine, what's your advice? Well, um, I have to say in an age where we, or country where we live and women have the privilege of reproductive rights and choices. For the time being. I mean, she, for the time, we are under assault, that's for sure. So I'm I'm also going to tell her to please vote. (laughs) Um, lovely young lady from the East Coast. Um, Even if you're in New York, it matters. Um, So even though they are under assault, we do have those rights, and she doesn't need to, like, have to negotiate these things. I mean, she has a right, she has a choice, and, you know, she should just, like, tell the guys to, you know, it's not a kink. Basically, right. like she um, not wanting kids is not a kink. It's not like she has like 
uh, you know, whatever it is, so many things out there. <laughs> but it's not, but it is a negotiation. Like if you want to have a relationship with somebody and you're not on the same page about religion mm-hmm. or where you're going to live or kids, that's a discussion that people have. And, you know, there's a, a, the compromise might be called for if you want to be in that relationship. Our kids, the price of admission that you're willing to pay to be with this person. And mm-hmm. she's saying that's no, that's a price of admission I will never pay. And it sounds like yeah. she tells guys that, but then guys date her in hopes that they can flip her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just such a guy thing to do, I, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shouldn't budge. I mean, it's like, we can say, it's like, oh, there's a perfect person out there for her. No, she doesn't need to, she is perfect. She doesn't need to, like, do, jump through all these hoops. Like, this is what who she is, and she should just stick to her guns while she can. And she dates a guy who says, okay, no kids, I understand, and then two years later is like, Kids, I really want kids. If we're going to continue to see each other, now that you're emotionally invested in me, we have to have kids. Yeah. What's her? What's her? Uh, what's her response in that moment be? Yeah, I mean that's that's tough from a real world perspective. I guess people evolve, but you know what? At age thirty, basically at age eighteen, people don't really change that much anymore. <laughs> you're from the animal rescue world. I have a question for you about the the, the yeah. rescue policies for. Thump, the organization you're involved with. Yeah. Do they neuter the rabbits? Oh, my God. Spay and neuter all the way. Isn't this an option for the the collar? Spay and neuter? If it was... Yeah. If she had her her tubes tied, this is a Mm non-negotiable. Basically, I mean, this is what she is, and then she doesn't really have to explain it. I'm like, this is... Yeah. I mean, mean, she'll have to explain it. She'll have to say, I I don't want kids, (laughs) and I don't want them so badly that I went and got my tubes tied. So this is never happening for mm-hmm. me. And if you're right. in, with me, yep. with me, it's never happening for you. And then it's not, mm-hmm. then there's nothing to debate six months or a year into the relationship. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so within the rabbit rescue or animal rescue community, I mean, there's two really big mantras. The first one is spay and neuter. The second one is adopt on shop. So if she does change her mind, you know, she can adopt. I don't think she will. I don't think she should. And she doesn't have to for a man. And I have it on good authority, based on the calls and letters I get, that there are guys out there who don't want kids either. Yeah. I mean, so many. I mean, especially in New York. Um I don't know any guy who wants kids right now who's, like, single. I know lots of guys right? who don't want kids so badly that they got spayed and neutered themselves before they partnered. Right? Thinking of you, my brother, <laughs> Billy, who listens to the show. All right. That was good. Yeah. That was good. We did that. We, that was right. good. Do you give good advice, rabbit lady? Tried. Tried. <laughs> All right. The next one up is for Thea. Hi, Dan. I'm 26 in California. Uh, a few years ago, I briefly dated this guy so briefly that it's hard to even call it dating. We kind of fooled around, but then he ended up dating a friend of mine. Flash forward to now, actually just a few weeks ago, he friended me on Snapchat and proceeded to send me a dick pic. Do I have an obligation to message him and let him know why that's not okay to send someone a random picture of your dick? Or do I just let it lie because we haven't talked in years? So what do you think, Thea? Let it go or say something about the unsolicited dick pic? 
definitely let it go. This guy sounds like a dick. It sounds like you were together a long time ago, and then suddenly he just started sending you what I would call a self-portrait. He's being mm-hmm. a dick. Um, and he's putting you in a horrible position. Like, he obviously wasn't thinking about you when he did that. He couldn't even use his words. All he could do was, like, expose himself to you. Um, and what are the words to use in that moment? Would you like to see my dick? How about those words, guys? I think those, that's an excellent way to say it. <laughs> and then you can say yes or no. And like, you need so few words to communicate maybe what he wants to communicate. Um, but, you know, maybe she's worried that, like, she says, does she have an obligation? No, she's thinking more about him than he thought about her when he did that. Um, See, I actually think she might have an obligation not to him to say something, but to other women to say something. That is such a good point. Because my concern, That's such a good point, Dan. When a guy sends an unsolicited dick pic and a woman just, like, doesn't say anything that the guy, because of the way men think, and particularly the kind of guy who sends unsolicited dick pits, might think, is going to lump her into didn't have a problem with that. Right. Category. Right. And then feel emboldened the next time he's horny and stupid and engaged in dickful thinking and is considering sending out a dick pic. So hearing from women who are like, knock that off. Why the fuck would you do that? Now I never want to talk to you again and I'm blocking you, actually, on Snapchat and everywhere else. Fuck off forever and die that you're not going to be lumped into the okay with that category. So when I heard her say, am I obligated? I didn't think obligation to this dude to correct his behavior, but obligated to other women to let this dude know that this is crap and unwelcome and unpleasant. And he needs to knock that off if he wants women to talk to him on Snapchat or anywhere else. I think that's a great point. She doesn't even have to do much. She just needs to send that one line. You said like, don't do this. This is inappropriate. Um, and I'm blocking you. I'm blocking you. I think that's yeah. a really important point. Uh, has, I, yeah. I'm imagining that unsolicited dick pics have not come up in rabbit droppings with Thea and they do. Oh, my God. Well, not in the actual column, but in our conversations. It's actually all the time. Wait, in fact, there's someone, Dan, who I really want a dick pic from. <laughs> um, well, that would be a solicited really dick badly. pic. It is solicited, but I can't help but mention it because, um, especially with you, Dan. So I really want a dick pic from Marlon Bundo. That is the <laughs> Pence Rabbit, the second family. With the, he is the topic of so many of our conversations. Um, and we're very concerned, Dan. Marlon Bundo we're is... concerned is, about the environment he lives. That's Mike Pence's rabbit, correct? Right. Well, Charlotte, it's his, I guess it's the, one of the Pence grandchildren. He calls Mike Pence his grandpa. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Exactly. God, I exactly. hate. I hate having a conversation that has Mike Pence and Dick Pick like in the same paragraph, or same sentence. It just makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. There are some people who need to stay far away from the mental images of Dick Picks or the realities of Dick Picks, and I would include Mike yeah. Pence in that group on that list. Right. Well, one of our questions, why and why we want a Dick Pick, is we want to know whether or not Marlon Bundo has been neutered. Because that's really an important part of rescue, and it's really essential for rabbit health and longevity. And I've, I've personally sent um, Marlon Bundo's Instagram several questions about whether or not he was neutered um, and several comments. I've never gotten a response. I know other people have done the same. I think it's being avoided, the question. At this point, we can't even confirm that Marlon Bundo is, in fact, male. We need to get to the bottom of the Marlon Bundo dick situation. Exactly. We're very concerned. We're very concerned. 
And when we get to the bottom of the Marlon Bundo dick situation, Thea and Nadine will be writing about it in Rabbit Droppings, the advice column in Thump, the newsletter of the New York House Rabbit Society chapter. Thank you so much, Thea. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. And thank you so much, Nadine. Thank you so much, Dan. It was fun. It was, it was fun for me, too. Thank you both for joining us. Thea and Nadine, the co-authors of Rabbit Droppings with Thea and Nadine, you can reach them at askrabbitdroppings at gmail.com, or you can follow them, which is where I found them, on Instagram at badassbunnyrescuer. Thanks again, you guys. That was really fun. Please come back. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 33-year-old cis gay man, and I'm in a relationship with my... Uh, now husband, we've been together for 10 years. We've been married for four. And a couple of months ago, we were leaving a, a party where a lot of my extended family were. And he broke down crying in the car ride home because he has been thinking of leaving me for some time. And he realized that if he left me, he would never see any of my family again. And this was a surprise to me because even though I know that things had been a little stale, uh, the thought of separation never occurred to me. And in the four months since, you know, we've stayed together and I keep trying to get him to open up and tell me what's going on and uh, try to foster an environment where he can feel like he speaks and be heard. but there hasn't been any progress it seems on his part and I'm not really sure what to do because I love him very much. He's the only person I want to be with, but he hasn't been able to articulate why he no longer wants to be with me. He had some, some trauma in when he was a child and he didn't really have anyone to talk about it with. And I think that that's affected his ability to open up to people. And so I'm trying to get him to open up, but I haven't really seen any progress. So I, I am not really sure what to do. I don't know why your husband is thinking about exiting this relationship, ending your marriage. Only he knows. And he's not saying, not telling you, but he's saying incredibly almost vicious and, and wounding things. He's saying things aloud that you can't unhear. I would leave you, but I'm sad at the thought of leaving you because then I'll never see your family again. Not so sad about never seeing you again, but I'll miss your mom. That's a vicious, cruel thing to say, particularly if it's not followed up by anything else. And you don't say something like that and then clam the fuck up. The obvious and really the only next step here is to get to a couple's counselor. And for your husband, if he's never really discussed his trauma from prior to your relationship with anyone, to see a therapist on his own as well and concurrently. But if he's not willing to do that, if he's just going to drop these bombs and say these vicious things, you might have to leave him. You might have to pull the plug. It's fine to, to, to love someone, but to love someone in a context where they're communicating to you clearly that they no longer love you, that's a kind of masochism. You're going to inflict a trauma on yourself that's going to take you a while to recover from, a trauma in addition to the end of this marriage potentially. So make an appointment with a couples counselor and go. If he won't go with you, go alone. You can see a couples counselor without your partner, without your husband, without your spouse. 
and gain insight into the dynamics in your relationship that are apparently breaking down in some potentially fatal way. And finally, caller, you say, and you say this as if to paint yourself into a corner, he's the only one I want to be with. That's how you feel right now. And I want to acknowledge that that's a genuine feeling and a legitimate feeling, but it's not entirely a rational feeling because there are other people out there in the world that if you do, in the end, wind up leaving this man, there are other men out there in the world that you will meet and fall in love with and you will feel that same way about, that they're the one you want to be with now. So don't trap yourself in a destructive relationship by convincing yourself, by telling yourself, by reinforcing this idea that it's him or no one. And when we're wrapped up and we're in love and we want to be with someone desperately, that's how it feels. And again, I want to acknowledge the legitimacy of that feeling. But at the same time that our reptile brains are feeling that feeling, a bigger part of our brain needs to engage and argue with the reptile brain and say, I hear you, that's how we're feeling right now, but if this ends, it is not the end of the world, it is not the end of love for us, and we can find someone else that we can, both parts of our brain talking to each other, that we can feel this way about in the future. I'm sorry that you're facing this. Good luck. Maybe with the help of a couples counselor, you guys can get back on track and back on the same page. Also, maybe with the help of a couples counselor, you guys can unwind this, if indeed that's what needs to happen, without inflicting too much additional trauma on each other. Hi, Dan. I'm a 49-year-old heteroflexible cis woman living in a major city in the Midwest. I have a long-term partner. We've been together about six years, and we are openly kinky and non-monogamous, although our sex life is really pretty tame these days due to both of us getting older and our sex drives just kind of winding down a bit, but we're both happy with how things are. We do not live together. I have my own place. Anyway, a few weeks ago, my dad came to visit me from another Midwestern state. He lives about 12 hours away, so we don't see each other very often. Our relationship has been kind of precarious my entire adult life due to the fact that his wife, my stepmom, didn't treat me very well while I was growing up, and he didn't defend me because he hates conflict and didn't want to get involved. I'm pretty much over that, but apparently he's not, as it still comes up anytime we have a disagreement about anything. Anyway, he came to visit, and everything was going well at first. During his visit, I let him have my bedroom. I thought he'd be more comfortable there, as it has its own bathroom, and he would have comfort and privacy. I slept on the couch. In retrospect, this was a major mistake. On morning three, he woke up furious. I couldn't figure out what was going on. He told me I was a horrible person, and he left abruptly to make the 12-hour trip home three days ahead of time. Uh, later, I went into my bedroom and noticed that my closet door was about a foot open. Dan, I keep a spanking bench in there that my partner and I use. It never occurred to me that my dad would go snooping in my closet, but apparently he did. He saw the bench and now thinks that I'm a horrible person because I have it. It's been over six weeks since he left, and we haven't spoken. 
I don't know what to do. Part of me wants to talk to him to try to work things out. But another part of me is so pissed off that number one, he went snooping. And number two, he's judging me for something that's totally none of his business. I'm afraid to talk to him. He's stubborn. And if I don't make the first move, we may never speak again, literally. What should I do, Dan? Wow, your dad sounds like an asshole. Lots of people out there with asshole dads right now who are probably thinking about going and getting spanking benches that they don't want and will never use just to leave them somewhere in their house for their dad to find so they never have to talk to their dad again. You can send him a note. Send him an email. If you feel so motivated and just say, dad, it's a fuck bench. Dad, it's a spanking bench. I'm an adult and I have a sex life and I have a partner and we're a little kinky. If that makes me a whore that I have an elaborate sex toy, a big sex toy, a sex toy takes two persons to move, then there are a lot more people out there who are whores than there are people out there accepting money in exchange for sex. There are a lot of people out there with these benches. Here are some links, Dad, to websites that sell these things. There's a market for these things. Sexually active adults buy these things. I'm a sexually active adult. And fuck you for snooping. Sometimes when you snoop, you find out things about your kids or your parents or your siblings that you would rather not know. And the trick when you go snooping and you find out something you'd rather not know is to pretend you don't know it. That's what you do, Dad. You stuff that down the memory hole. You don't want to think about me having kinky sex with my long-term partner? Don't think about it. And ball's in your court now, Dad. If you want to have a relationship, if you want to talk, give me a call. We never have to talk about this, ever. You don't have to give me a call so we can talk about the fuck bench or spanking bench I had in my closet. We can just tiptoe around it and pick up where we left off and resume our relationship. Or not. Your choice. Finally, though, there are reasons people open doors and bedrooms that they're staying in. Maybe he thought that was the way into the bathroom in the middle of the night. Maybe he ran out of toilet paper and thought maybe there was extra toilet paper in the closet. We can't prove that your dad tore your room apart and, and entered the closet because he was snooping. It may have been an accident. He may have accidentally discovered something he'd rather not know about his kid. Also, people do snoop. You let people stay in your bedroom. People will open drawers on nightstands and find dildos and vibrators and tick clamps. You let people stay in your room or stay in your house and they will look in your medicine cabinet. People are curious. People are nosy. You are too. I bet you are guilty of the same kind of snooping. If you've ever been to a friend's house and just because you're house sitting, taking a peek. If you've never done that, you're a better person than I am. Dan, I'm a decades-long uh, fan listening to episode 617 as you're hemming and hawing about whether to out the pastor who had an affair with this woman. I don't, I don't see what the question is here. Obviously, he's done this many times before. Obviously, he'll do it again. He's going to be the one responsible for blowing up his family sooner or later. And the only thing that's on the line is how many women get deceived like this. No half measures. Go to the police. Let them know what's going on. Go to the media. Talk to the board. And, you know, I don't know why you're, why you're hemming and hawing about this. You're still on in the background. I can't stand it. The whole time I've been talking, you've been talking. Anyway, love what you're doing, but just sometimes you got to just go for it. Thanks, bud. I'm calling in response that woman was concerned about her weight and stretch marks in dating. I like Dan's response and was just calling the way in that it, Confidence really can be king. I am a 
quote-unquote burn victim with 40% of my body covered in scars that you can't hide even in the dark. And since that time, I've had the most and the best sex of my life, found multiple loves in my current partner. At first, I would make excuses and explanations for about what happened and realize that was just getting in the way of a damn good time, getting to know someone some damn good fucking. Eventually, I realized if they deserved and earned an explanation, they would get it if I felt like giving it. Be confident, love yourself, and realize what you have to offer. The world's waiting for you. I'm so happy the bedwetter decided to call in and try to clear her name, but she didn't answer the most crucial question. Are you going to pay the dry cleaning bill? And we're going to leave it there. Special announcement tickets to the 14th annual Hump Film Festival's first runs are on sale now, including a limited supply of early bird discounted tickets. The opening festivals take place this November in Seattle, Portland, Olympia, and for the first time, San Francisco. Only audiences at the opening festival get to vote for their favorite films and help decide who will take home the $20,000 in cash prizes awarded by secret audience ballot at Hump, including the new $10,000 Best in Show Award. There is still time for you to make and submit a film to Hump. Some of our top prize-winning films were made in the days before the deadline. Submissions are due Friday, September 14th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Send your five minutes or less film to my Dirty Little Porn Film Festival and have a chance to win huge cash prizes. To find out about submitting a film and to get tickets to the opening festival in November, head over to humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow the ladies from Rabbit Droppings on Instagram at Badass Bunny Rescuer. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy will be back at you next week with our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.